0: Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. We welcome a wide and exceptionally impressive array of guests, business leaders, HR leaders, academics, practitioners, consultants, and authors to talk about the most timely, relevant, and challenging issues that are influencing the workplace today. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland-Steed.
1: Welcome to the show. We have a great show today, Trish. We're going to be talking about a topic I love and we have not talked about in quite some time. We're going to talk about skilled trades, vocations, and kind of talk a little bit and push up against this idea that every single person needs to go to like a four-year college and come out with like a, a degree in history. I like history, by the way, I'm not not knocking the history majors, but uh, we're going to talk about skilled trades, the shortages, and and some of the ways uh, organizations can kind of improve, right? And and help find the folks that they need and and learn a little bit more about how those folks get ready to take those kinds of jobs. We're going to be joined by Adam Figuera from Korski here in a moment before I formally welcome Adam to the show. Trish, can I thank our sponsors? Is that all right? Please do. Let us thank our friends at Paychex. This episode of At Work in America is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. The current business and hiring environment has redefined what it takes to succeed as an HR professional, requiring HR leaders to adapt and innovate at lightning speed, to help their organizations remain competitive. You can download the 2022 Pulse of HR report to discover the tools and tactics your peers are using to deliver on both HR and business objectives. Trish, I'm gonna gonna deviate off script. I downloaded the Pulse of HR report again earlier this week because I cited it in an article I was writing for HR executives. So how about that?
2: I think that's good. And I'm glad they're sharing that because I can tell you when I was an HR leader, that was one of the things I looked for. I was always trying to find ways to train my team for free. So it's also a good resource for that. Take that report, get your team together, maybe for a lunch and learn, dive into it, ask questions about it. It's a really great uh, training tool for your team.
1: You should provide lunch though, if you're doing that. So uh, you can visit <laughs> payx.me slash PHR2022 like me, download your copy today. And many, many thanks to our friends at Paychex. Okay. Let's welcome Adam to the show. He's waiting patiently. Adam, as I said, he's the VP of marketing about CourseKey, who we're going to learn about because I think there's a good chance CourseKey might not be familiar to many of our listeners. So we're going to learn about that. But uh, Adam, before CourseKey, Adam ran B2B marketing at Trilogy Education Services, a workforce accelerator that partners with leading universities to power skills-based training programs. He joined that company pre-Series A and helped manage the Trilogy brand from sub 10 million in revenue. That does sound like a lot to me already. To 100 million plus and a 700 million, 750 million dollar exit. Nice. Uh, in 2019, <laughs> Trilogy was the fastest growing ed tech company in history and the second largest acquisition of an ed tech company. Uh, welcome to the show, Adam. That is pretty impressive. I might have quoted $10 million. I'm not as, Maybe I'm not as ambitious. That, that sounded good, but that's, that's awesome. So how are you?
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm doing well, Steve. Thank you, Trish, as well. I'm happy to uh, be on here talking about this topic with you today, because as you said at the beginning, Steve, this is a very important topic um, that, that more people should be talking about because it's instrumental to the economy. So uh, I, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on and, and share a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, no, it's our pleasure, Adam. Thank you. Uh, maybe we'll start with, give us 90 seconds, two minutes, on just on Korski, so we can be familiar with the company, what you guys do, again, for folks who may not know the brand name and, and know the products and
0: services all that well. So Korski is a software company. We're an ed tech company, um, and we specifically serve the needs of career colleges and trade schools. And And let me put that into context for you, because I've been in ed tech for a long time, Right. Most of the money that flows into ed tech companies goes to one of two places. It goes to companies trying to serve Mm K-12 and companies trying to serve four-year higher ed. Um, There are very few providers that actually cater to the needs of career colleges and trade schools. And those needs are incredibly unique because of the regulatory environment that those types of schools operate in, the nature of the programs, right? They're very hands-on, they're less sort of academic and in the classroom. Um, And so we've developed a, a specific software suite that just responds and re- responds to and reflects the needs that those schools have. And it covers everything from enrollment, academic management, retention, placement. It really is mapped around the entire student journey.
1: Great, right. great. appreciate that. And, and, and we're talking about, Adam, just so I'm clear on this, schools that train uh, mechanics, train uh, people in who might become beauticians, um, welders. I mean, lots of things, right?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, one of the definitions of, um, you know, a trade, and I think there's probably a lot, is any job that has the potential to be hazardous either to um, the public or to the practitioner, Right, and so when you think about it like that, it makes sense why we talk about you know auto mechanics as a trade. Right, the job needs to be done right, or it's a danger to the driver, it's a danger to other people on the road. Same thing for you know hard trades, whether we're talking about you know welding and plumbing and so forth. Um, You know, even even beauty and wellness, as you said, right. When we talk about things like you know bleaching hair, you know, for example, or dyeing hair, um, there needs to be a real set of skills and training behind it so that the public can have confidence that it's been done correctly
2: you know i'm so glad you're you're here to talk about this adam because i live in the midwest i'm outside of st louis and i wonder if this is more regional in the U.S. or if this doesn't really matter where you live. But I feel like here we do have, I have twins that actually just went off to college this week, in fact, to uh, University of Nebraska. But we live in a small town outside of St. Louis and a lot of the students actually are going into the trades. So I guess, you know, as you're talking about it, potentially being in these hazardous roles, things where you actually do need highly technically trained skills, What is the overall kind of appetite, if you will, for trade schools in general? And how does CourseKey really kind of help direct people to those types of careers?
0: So the great thing about that is that the appetite, I think, is changing, right, in a very positive way. I think to a large degree, we still live in a country where um Going to a trade school is seen as a consolation prize um, compared to the four-year, you know, university degree. Um, but the reality is, is you know, uh, uh, all of the economics show. And, and by the way, I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I don't criticize four-year higher ed. I myself am a, am a product of four-year higher ed. Um, but the economics of it are that it takes four years to complete. It can cost as much as two hundred and fifty dollars to $300,000 if we're talking about you know, a private school. All nodding, tour. by the way, for folks listening yeah. to the audio. Yeah. Everyone's nodding. So,
2: yep. yeah, yeah, His the, is, the, is the, at Boston University. We're, we're, <laughs> we're spending too it, much money.
0: <laughs> it, exactly. So you know, right? So in terms of the duration of these programs, the cost of these programs... Um, for, for years, more and more people, and this includes the students as well as their parents, have been questioning the ROI of that. When you compare that to trade schools, however, you're talking about programs that are one to two years in duration with an average price tag of twenty dollars to $30,000. And the key thing about the trades is that they are aligned to a need in the market, Right. Right. So you're essentially starting with a job and reverse engineering that into curriculum. Whereas, you know, and, and I can say this because I, I was an international relations major, right? Um, What do you do with that, right? The short answer is, Um, almost nothing right and I I spent a year yeah as
1: you were Adam as you were describing it I had written down a a more clearly defined career path right Uh, upon graduation or achieving that certification and I suspect Adam when you graduated you really didn't think about going into your downtown and opening up a international relations shop right that probably
0: was not a thing you could have done right (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And on on that particular topic, actually, we we see in the trades that there is a a much clearer and faster path to entrepreneurship, right? So knowing a trade, having a skill is a very clear path to building your own business, being your own boss, making your own hours, employing a workforce of your own, right? As As a marketer, right? I mean, I I'm not going to create a marketing agency, right? That's just not my thing. But uh, for people who are, you know, have skills in cosmetology or who are welders or general contractors, or if we're talking about truck drivers, owner operators, right? These are entrepreneurs. These are people who run small businesses. Uh, It is a very clear path to entrepreneurship in the U.S.,
2: yeah. yeah. I think you're right about the need for it. Like I said, it's at least where I live, it is is not seen as some sort of lesser valued alternative. In fact, quite a large number of the students are actually excited about getting into the trades for that very reason because they want to be their own boss ultimately they want to have a very specialized skill set that they can get in a shorter amount of time and start making money like right away some of the kids that literally just graduated here are already doing apprenticeships as they're going to a vocational school and and starting Mm -hmm. to to live that career day one so I think it's a little different and it's it's not seen as a negative at all, at least, again, yeah. not here in the Midwest. It's seen as a positive.
0: Well, that's great. And, and nationally, it seems like we hit an inflection point around 2010. So mm-hmm. if, you at, if you look at enrollment trends at four-year universities, it essentially peaked in 2010 and, and since that time has dropped 2% a year. It, um, it dropped as much as 6 to 8% in 2020 when the pandemic, you know, shut on-campus instruction down. Um, but, but still, it is a downward trend. It is the exact opposite with career colleges and trades um, because of, you know, because of all the things that we've talked about so far. And also, these tend to be geared towards industries which are much more recession-proof. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, the economy may be down a little bit like it is now, but people still need to get a haircut or even if they don't need to get their nails done, they want to. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And there's all sorts of similar corollaries for the other industries. as well. Yeah. And and one of the really interesting things about uh, the
1: trades and these types of jobs and and sort of uh, for folks who prepare themselves and, and go to these types of schools or go through these programs to prepare for their careers. Oddly enough, right, and we I would say certainly before the pandemic and maybe a couple of years before that, I felt like we spent a lot of time navel gazing about robots coming to take everyone's jobs yeah. away. I know I must have wrote a thousand blog posts about that topic in different formats, but oddly enough, a lot of what we're talking about, Adam, and I think hopefully you'll agree with me are are those exact jobs that cannot be automated away or certainly not easily right bus drivers, mechanics beauticians uh people doing those hands-on jobs that require both skill, some training, some dexterity, human ingenuity and thinking and a little bit of creativity at times. Certainly not the kinds of, of jobs we just are going to throw technology at and they'll be gone.
0: You know, when I was in business school, I, I had a professor who said, uh, you can't outsource a haircut, right? And, and we were specifically talking about outsourcing. Uh, yeah. but, but that quote, what he said has... Uh, you know, stayed with me for, for a very long time. And I think, you know, to your point, when it comes to automation, you know, you can automate aspects, certain aspects of jobs, you can make them, you know, more efficient. Um, You you can make, you can make the performer of the job more efficient. Um, But, but for the most part with the trades, they are highly resistant to automation for all of the work and investment that has been put into you know autonomous driving the reality is is we still are not there And, you know, even even in the military, when we talk about autonomous um, you know, aircraft, in most cases, I think they're still piloted by somebody on the ground. So we've just shifted where the pilot is, but we haven't eliminated the pilot from the equation. Right. So automation tends to change the nature of work. um, But I think it may be a little bit overstated as far as, um, you know, putting people putting people out of work. It just changes how the job is done.
1: Yeah. I mean, a number of years ago, a really famous study made the rounds uh, came out of Oxford University, and it basically concluded that the one, the number one job that was almost certainly going to be automated away in the reasonably uh, near future was accounting, right? Because yeah. it was really just following rules and moving <laughs> numbers around in a certain fashion. I, I, okay, I was in a... So, uh, I'm a frustrated accountant in myself, but I get it. I get where that's coming from. It's like, yeah, we could probably make rules and, and have a machine do a lot of this.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I recall a study from a couple of years ago. It was three or four years ago. It came from McKinsey. Uh, And it said that 65% of kindergartners today would go on to work in jobs that don't yet exist today. Um, And it it was making a bigger point about, you know, automation changing the the nature of work. But again, I think, you know, uh, uh, a power, a a cordless ratchet hasn't made the general, hasn't put the general contractor out of work. It's made the general contractor more efficient with his or her time yeah
2: for sure. You know it's interesting you mentioned that because I was just having a discussion with with my my kids and my niece and nephew going way to four year university where I told them I said, even now, not as kindergartners, but at their age, 18 and, and 20, um, the job that you were going to have probably does not exist in the way that you're thinking about it. And so that's if you're someone who likes that sort of um, sort of unknown, and you can live with that that's fine but i think too there are lots and lots of you know young people who want to know what am i going to do what is yeah. that basic skill going to require and so again if i had a student who was more you know more of that mode of thinking i might yeah. actually then steer them toward a trade because i think too some people just operate better knowing i'm going to go to school for this thing this craft this skill and then i'm going to get a job doing that like your point, it can be enhanced certainly by technology, but it's not as, I don't know. I mean, I went to school and got a degree in sociology. Like, I don't know what I was going to do with that. I've had probably 20 ideas that none of which I've done, but, you know, so I I think that's another big difference between a four-year university and a trade is that if you're someone who really wants to have that solid foundation of this is what I want to do and be, as it evolves, I might steer my child toward a trade school. Are you finding that other parents um, or teachers, counselors, maybe school counselors are, are sort of using, you know, technology to connect them to these schools to steer kids maybe with that sort of mindset to them? Or is that not something that they're really doing just yet?
0: Well, I hope it is right. I mean, I'm a number of decades removed from, from high school at this point, but when I was in, but when I was in high school, it was only four year colleges that came around. Right. And I was actually speaking to somebody a few weeks ago um, from Kansas city. So the, the other side of Missouri mm-hmm. um, and he had graduated high school in 2008. Um, and what he, what he said to me was, um, none of none of the trade schools had come to his school he's a professional welder today but he he was on camera telling us nobody ever came to the school and and told us about you know welding right and i and i think that that i think that that is changing in the us and i think that parents are much more receptive to it you know as well again because the economics you know just totally back it up as a as a great as a great career option uh, a path that has high earning potential, stability, mm-hmm. right? And and ultimately, whether you're whether you are the student, the employee, or the parent, I I think that's what you want, right? right. I think yeah, it's hard. I mean, it, it's
2: hard enough to get a job right now. And if you think about it, if you need to get your car worked on right now, or someone to come, you know, yeah. do something to your home, for example, repair something, an electrician, a plumber, whatever. It is almost impossible. Like they're so backed up. So there's such a need there for any of mm-hmm. those trades to get these students to come and and learn them. They really need them right now.
0: If I posted a job opening on our website today for a marketing role, we would have a hundred applications within 48 hours. If I called around to try to get quotes on remodeling my house, I think 50% of the people I called would probably not call me back. Um, And the 50% who did would not be available for six, eight, 12 (laughs) weeks or more to do the job. And I think it sort of speaks to the idea that there are, you know, there's more than one economy in the US, right? There is the professional economy, which... May have, I mean, in the professional economy, there's a clear mismatch of skills. I think, right? There are there are more workers in areas where you know th- their skills are not aligned to the needs of the market, um, and in the trade economy, the complete opposite, which is there are simply not enough workers, mm-hmm. um, and and we've got to correct that, right? I mean, when when the stimulus package during the first Obama administration was passed which i think was 2008 or 2009 um obama said something that was very famous i don't think it ever got the attention it deserved but he said there's no such thing as a shovel ready project Mm -hmm. and what he what he actually meant by that was the the there's not enough workers to do the jobs that there may be money for But if workers are not there and ready to do it, it's not quote unquote shovel ready. And by the way, we're seeing this again, 14 years later, because we have a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that was passed last year, that money has now started flowing. And people are starting to talk about what we've been talking about for a long time, which is actually, you know what, the money wasn't the problem at all. It was the lack of, of skilled labor to do the work,
1: yeah. And you're seeing the two economies uh, uh, idea, Adam, really does resonate because we're seeing this. I'm a bit of a labor market geek. For folks who've listened to the show for for many years, they know this about me. And we've been seeing nothing in 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 sort of the popular news or the business news in the last mm, couple of months or so layoffs here, layoffs there, layoffs yeah. there. You know, Peloton laid off another hundred people or something like that, right? And But yet in the last jobs report that came out about two weeks ago, as we record this, uh, over half a million jobs were added to the economy, largely those second economy types of jobs, right? So meanwhile, lots of people are talking about imminent recession and things like that. And look, maybe things are slowing down in certain pockets of the economy. But I think you're right, Adam. It tends to be that professional economy, right, that's seeing the effects of it where where maybe some companies, I don't know, got ahead of their skis a little bit and, and now we're pulling back. But meanwhile, a lot of the things we're talking about and a lot of the things that the course key uh, client community is is preparing folks to step into, right, are still in tremendous demand and probably will remain that way.
0: I haven't heard any layoffs of truck drivers Right. and you know welders and plumbers and and things like that and i just think it speaks to the acute need that we have yeah and, we uh, just
1: did uh this is a global story but it, it could be here we just did a story
0: about uh on one of our other shows
1: about uh quantus airlines is pulling people out of the Corporate offices and the executive suites to uh, drive baggage trucks back and forth across yeah. the tarmac to try to yeah. to match up people with bags. Trish, you have a you can tell the story if you want to. You you, you were caught up in some baggage chaos yourself, I think.
2: Oh, I, you know, I I think we we've probably overdone that story, but yeah. I, I think that you're right. I think anytime you have someone who's so highly trained, so highly skilled, maybe from a four-year university and you get in your head, like I'm an executive, I'm a this, I'm a that, right. You have to be able to step out of that occasionally and do the job that needs to be done. And so whether that's yes, delivering bags or whether that's, you know, obviously you can't just go step in and be a truck driver, but I think that's, it's just important even more than before now to be talking to these kids or if you're in these vocational colleges, you know, you made the point about your friend who was in Kansas city and he wasn't seeing that when he was, you know, graduating and making these decisions. I do think then maybe it is a little bit of, of where you, you live here, here they do come to the high schools. So Mm -hmm. again, how, as a marketer, how do you see us being able to sort of elevate the respect for those roles And not just the respect for them, but the knowledge of them. How do we get these types of workers in front of young people or representatives from these vocational schools to where they can start kind of spreading that word?
0: You know, kids need to see more examples of people who do these jobs, right? Um, Kids follow heroes, right? Whether that's a sports star whether that's an an entertainer. And I think um, they could benefit from, and we as a country could benefit from, um, exposing those kids to more career paths, right. Um, and enabling them to, you know, meet these individuals, see these jobs and develop an interest in it. Um, there was a study and I, I don't, I don't recall where it came from, but it was it, the, the results of it was something to the effect of by the time a, 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 a kid, an adolescent, I don't know what the right term is, gets to age 13 they have made at least a general decision around the path that they're going to pursue, right? It may not be, I know I'm going to be a mathematician versus a sociologist, but they've decided it's going to be this path or that path. And so it speaks to the need of, you know, you've you've got to reach people with this message and with these examples, um, you know, earlier. There is... Um, There is an author, Molly Elkman, she wrote uh, a children's book last year called The House That She Built, with emphasis on children's book, Um, Mm -hmm. and it's based on a true story about a house in Utah that was built by all female uh, laborers, and the point of it, the the point in making it a children's book is to provide an example, in this case, to um, younger girls that this is a viable path for you, right? In, in, home constru- in, in residential home construction, and I think probably commercial construction as well, fewer than uh, 5% of the workers are female, right? I'm sure there are many reasons for that. And I, and I don't wanna reduce it to any you know, one reason, um, but, but I do believe that one of the reasons is we don't have enough examples of female construction workers to show girls younger than the age of 13, that this is a path that they can do as well.
2: Yeah, that's, it's interesting that it's a children's book, because that just reminded me one of the books, like, you know, we all have books growing up. One of the few books I actually still have from my childhood is called Susan in the driver's seat. So I grew up in the early 70s. And it was a Mm -hmm. whole book, a little golden book about women could be a woman could be a doctor, a woman could be a pilot, a woman could work in construction. So, so funny that like, we're now, you know, 50 years later and it just hasn't changed that much. Like, right. I, you know, obviously, you know, Course Key is, is doing its part to sort of help this. What what can we be doing, right? As consumers, as parents, as educators, um, as a community, what can we be doing to help steer young women to be thinking about these things, especially if you're saying, you know, kids are really thinking about this before age of 13. I mean, you know, what can we do different?
0: Yeah. I mean, so I am a big believer in, and I I can't remember, I feel old at this point, but I don't feel like I was exposed to a career day until I was in high school. I think these things need to go into middle school and elementary school as well. Right. Um, And then I, I think You know, to to use your example, Trish, of um, you know, we were just talking about female construction workers. When when parents see, uh, uh, to I'll continue with the example of female construction worker. Talk about that with your kids. Hey, this can be something that you do as well. There's great jobs here. There's great earning potential here. You don't have to be, you know, maybe what you see just on television or what you hear. You know, from from your friends or or somebody else, right? Um, and it it speaks to it 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 speaks to this critical problem that we have, which is when it comes to the skills gap that we have in critical trades, you can't solve it by only marketing or or reaching fifty percent of the population, right? So um, if the only people who are exposed to this or the only people who, to, to to whom these programs are marketed to are are men we're not actually going to solve this. Like it's not even that it's an uphill battle. No, that's actually being too generous. We are not going to solve it when we're only reaching half of the population. Yeah.
1: yeah, And I, I got to believe it's, a, I'm sorry, Trish.
2: I know. I was just going to quickly say, I think if you're a parent, it's, it is your job to find, find those opportunities to, for your children. Right even if you don't know the person, if you, you know, take them to some of, some of these jobs, or if you have someone come work on your home, ask them, Hey, would you mind just spending five minutes with my kid and like telling them about what you do? Right. Make, and, make and sure you that do you're it? right. right? Um, make sure you're making those connections. Um, and I would also just say, look to your local community, whatever that is, and find those people who are in those jobs and see if you can job shadow them. I know, you know, Steve and I, and what we do, we, we did a little bit of a job shadowing for some kids at the local high school who were into podcasting and wanted to learn more about it. So we did that. We've had a guest on the show who is the executive director for, I was looking up for the National Corn to Ethanol Research Center, right? So very agricultural, like you wouldn't just like grow up thinking like, wow, I want to do that. But our friend, John Cowpert actually, I know he like does job shadowing for anyone, junior high, high school that just might want to learn more about corn and and ethanol and how that all works. So I think you can, even if you don't know someone personally, if you make a phone call and try and get your kid in front of people who can teach them a different type of profession than what you do is a good first step.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Adam, this is my last sort of uh, observation and maybe question for you too. And it's tricky. So I sorry to spring it on you at the end of the show, but I, I mentioned prior to, we started recording kind of the last time we talked about this topic, at least at length on the podcast was a while ago now. And we talked to a couple of authors from MIT who had written a, you know, a pretty deeply researched book on workforce development kind of writ large in the United States, but with an eye towards how our organizations, right, going to find the trained and skilled workforce for many of the types of jobs that we're talking about. And, and the long story short of that conversation and the, and the book they wrote, it's a very complex ecosystem of trade schools and vocational schools, like some of the clients that Korski works with, community colleges largely funded by state and local governments, uh, employers themselves forming even consortiums of employers in a certain area coming together to sort of co co-opitate? What's that word of cooperate and comp- compete? I don't know. They work together to try to <laughs> recruit from the same types of workers that they all need together, et cetera, et cetera. I, I guess my question then, Adam, after a very long preamble, is: Are there certain things you've seen that the the that that tend to work a little better? Or is there is there a trend in the market, or how are organizations? Who are a lot of the folks who listen to this show, right? Or in organizations trying to hire these kinds of skilled workers? Um, what what are things that maybe you're seen or through your clients you've seen that might maybe working a little better than, than other tactics?
0: So you, you know what's interesting, Steve, and, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in regards to the professional economy. When when we think of sites like LinkedIn, salary.com, indeed.com, these these sites these services are largely built for the professional economy, right? And and the way that the professional economy works, meaning, upload your resume, um, provide a cover letter. These are typically things that don't really work in the trades economy, or that many tradespeople don't, you know, uh, don't have. Um, and so it's this idea of if, uh, if the oil rig operator on the north slope of Alaska needs a welder, how do they actually find it? I think one of the good things that's going on right now is there are more services that are coming online, so to speak, that are built for the trades, right? One, one of them actually is um, it, it's a company called blue recruit. Um, they're doing some really awesome things for connecting employers and workers specifically, you know, in the trades. Um, again, it's about responding to the gaps, you know, in the market um, because another dimension to the, the issue of there are not enough, you know, trades people is, there are skills, but maybe it's not where the job is, right? And how do we get them to find each other? Um, I, I think I think tech startups are are starting to identify that as a as a need and respond to it. We need more. We need more of it. Yeah,
2: Go you ahead. know, I think I, you're I like you're speaking to a good audience for that too, because a number of the people who listen to this particular. Um, podcast are people who work in human resources technology, right? They're building sort of these these things for the future. And, and it does come up a little more than before in the last like year or two around the dustless workforce and how they can start matching the people with those skills to those jobs. So I agree with you. I think some of the places you've named, certainly, you know, there's much work to be done there, but I am starting to see that as a trend. People are starting to talk about it a little bit more. So it sounds like maybe they just need greater partnership you know, if, if you're in HR technology and you're listening, you probably need to be partnering with like Course Key and with some of the vocational um, schools, for example, and and working together, to Steve's earlier point, you know, you sort of have to all come together and making making this most effective. I think if you're each trying to do it in a vacuum, it's, it's just going to take a lot longer.
0: We created... Uh, a couple of months ago, um, an, an organization, it's inside of Korski, we created an organization called the College to Career Initiative. And the idea behind it is connecting the schools that are producing trade talent with the employers that want to hire it. And literally, it's it's almost as simple as it sounds, which is just you know, fostering better connections between those two audiences. And at our inaugural event, which was in Orlando, Florida, that's exactly what we heard. We heard, um, you know, placement reps from schools say things like, you know, I know I've placed a couple of, of our graduates at company XYZ, and I think I've exchanged a few emails with my my counterpart at that company. But until today, I had never sat face to face with that person and mm-hmm. having that connection. I mean, it's mutually beneficial, right? I mean, the employer is sort of is developing preferential access to a, a, a warm and consistent talent pipeline uh, and the schools, which are measured on, you know, their placement rates are, you know, curating an important relationship at the same time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And that's a win-win, though, right? It's a win for the for the school. It's a win for their reputation as a as a place that creates and, and trains uh, well-prepared candidates for jobs. It's a win for the organization and to hire people. And it's a win, most importantly, for the student, right? Or the new graduate or the new newly credentialed worker who's got a line on on, on the start of their career, perhaps, which is awesome. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Adam. That was really cool. And uh, we'll make sure to find that. And link to that in the show notes, because I think that could be really relevant to a lot of the mm-hmm. folks who are listening uh, to the show, Trish, I think. I think so, too. Absolutely. This is really great stuff. We could go for like another hour on this. We didn't even really dive into like the ed tech overlay into HR tech, which is a thing I've always wanted to talk about. We've never really Heart talked two. about it on the show. <laughs> We'll have to... Uh, do a a rewind or revisit uh, Adam and talk about that some other time. But uh, this was really, really great stuff. Uh, I'm glad we were able to to make the connection. This is Adam Figuera. He is, uh, once again, the VP of Marketing at CourseKey. And I encourage you to check out what they're doing at coursekey.com. And we'll put the link... Uh, to the college to career initiative as well adam if we we can get that from you we'll put that on the show yeah. notes as well and uh thanks so much for spending some time with us today and uh, you know and bearing with a couple of uh hr folks with with, with questions uh to you and your domain
0: absolutely well, it was my pleasure thank you steve and thank you trish for having me on i enjoyed the conversation as well it's yeah, all right you. i love this Trish loved it
2: I did too. This is one of those episodes where now I feel like I have more to dos than I started out with, which is a good thing. That's you know I have more more digging I want to do. So I'm hoping that the uh, the audience is feeling the same way. Definitely go out and connect with Adam on on LinkedIn and at their website and and learn more because yeah, I think there's a lot more that we can all do to help kind of foster kids and and even if you're not a kid, maybe you're just starting a new career, right?
1: That's right. Go That's join right. the right That's right. I'm going to, I'm going to go back. Well, certainly what I wouldn't do is I, sorry, Adam, I'm going to pick on you again. I would not go back to college and take up international relations. I would not. do that.
0: <laughs> I would go get a real job. I would try to get you a know, real job. I know we didn't have time to get into this topic, but we we are seeing more and more people with college degrees going back to trade school. And that is something that's really interesting right now. Love it.
2: Can Love I just it. tell you, it's funny. Like if you were to ask me if I would go back to college versus going to do a trade, like if I really was making a, a change, honestly, I'm someone that's super handy around the house. I do all my own plumbing, unless it's like super complex, but I can take apart sinks and drains and things like that. Right. And I'm constantly, I would do that. I could see myself actually going to do that, but it is, it is so stereotypical. Even anybody that knows me, like you can do plumbing, like basic plumbing. I'm like, yes, I can. Yes, I can. And I like it. It's fun. But no one ever talked to me about being a plumber when I was younger.
0: There you go. No one ever
2: talked to
1: you about being a plumber. (laughs) No, but- all right really really great stuff i love how we got a little after show into the show we're leaving it it's all the in. after show care. this is good stuff for adam forgara our guest from course key uh, fortress mcfarland my name is steve Bose. thank you for listening to this episode of At work in america we will see you next time and bye for now